In the next few moments, I just want to talk to you about taking Christ to work. How many, how many of you know, maybe you participated and you have those things where you take your daughter to work day or take your son to work to, uh, day. You ever heard of those? You know, you know what I'm talking about? Well, we're, we're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about taking Christ to work. And uh, in honor of Labor Day, it is Labor Day weekend, and I hope you're enjoying the holiday weekend. But uh, I want to talk for the next few minutes about uh, how work uh, about work and about our attitudes concerning it. But, but first, before we get into the Word, I want to read a couple things to you. Uh, for those of you that struggle, anybody here, anybody here that you ever have that moment where you struggle to stay awake at work? Anybody? Okay, there's one honest person. The rest of you, uh, we'll pray for you. But uh, I, I want to give you some, some things so you can be ready um, in case your boss catches you asleep at your desk, all right? So I want you to be ready in that moment because that's a very embarrassing moment for the, to, to face that. And, and I want you to be ready so you'll be, you can burst, blurt out one of these excuses. So here's some things to say when caught sleeping on the job. Number one, here's what you can say. You can say, they told me at the blood bank this might, have, might happen. So you can be ready. And it's like you're a humanitarian. And here's another one. You can say, whew, I must have left the top off white out. Do they even use whiteout anymore? Does anybody use it? Okay, just making sure. Here, I like this one. I like this one. Just look at him and say, I was testing the keyboard for drool resistance. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm just going to talk to this side. You're responding more. Maybe it's, um, Here's another one you can try. Why did you interrupt me? I almost figured out the, biggest, uh, the solution to the biggest problem we have. Here's, here's, here's one that will fit of many people that I know. Oh, somebody must have put decaf in the wrong pot. <laughs> right? Or uh, you can say, and I wear contact lenses, so this is important. This one would work, work for me. You can say, I wasn't sleeping. I was just trying to pick up my contact lens without using my hands. <laughs> That's a great mental picture there. <laughs> he's, he's trying to clean it up. Um, and then if you're just a really honest person, here's one you can try. Sorry, boss, I thought you were gone for the day. <laughs> you know? and, then, and then for every believer, especially if your boss is a Christian, this is the best one of all. As soon as he walks up and wakes you up and says, why are you sleeping? You say, in the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> and then you, you got it covered, amen. You know, I read about a man named Tom. When the boss walked by, he saw Tom just sitting there gazing out the window and he yelled at Tom and he said, what do you think you're doing? Why aren't you working? And Tom was one of those that was just too honest for his own good sometimes. And he blurted out, because I didn't see you coming. That was the whole answer. But the, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about work and about our attitudes toward work. I want to ask you just three questions. Do you really like your job? Number two, do you look forward to going to work on Monday mornings because you really miss your boss? Somebody's laughing. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say who's laughing in case your boss is watching. Number three, do you miss your fellow workers so much that you can hardly wait to get back and see how they're doing? Well, let me tell you something. If you answered yes to any of those three questions, you are in the minority. Because surveys show that over 60% of American workers are unhappy with their jobs, and many of them go to work simply because they have no other choice. You know, I mean, you know what their theme song is? Their theme song is, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, right? Yeah. That's, how many of you can relate with that? They would probably tell you that they're unhappy with what they do because it's the same old routine day after day and their life just seems to be on this meaningless merry-go-round and has no real purpose to it. It's sort of like the old Tennessee Ernie Ford song. Some of you are old enough to remember this one and I'm not going to try to sing it because I can't get that deep baritone that he had. But he says, you load 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Some of you are, I saw some of you actually mouthing the words and singing it along. But this morning, what I want to do, I want to just take a few minutes and share with you what I believe will help you see your work as an actually an, an exciting opportunity to serve God, because that's really what it is. It's not just something so you can earn a living. It's more than that. One, one of our problems in life is that, especially in our Western culture, Western Christianity, we, 
we, one of the problems is, is that we like to divide everything into secular and sacred categories. So we have over here is all our secular life, our non-church life, and over here is our sacred life. That's church life and our friends at church, that sort of thing. And, and the problem is we spend, we spend the very best hours of almost every day in the secular world, and we say, as a response, we'd say, well, I'd, I'd really like to serve God, but but I just I spend so much time over here on my job in the secular world, and then we end up, we give so few hours to God. We just give him a, a couple hours on Sunday morning and maybe another hour on Wednesday night, and that's about it for, for a lot of people. Well, you know, when you look at the Bible, in the Old Testament, you see the, the, the uh, sacred versus the, uh, the, the secular uh, pattern in the Old Testament, but you don't see it at all in the New Testament. The Old Testament says over here is the sacred with its temple, with its priest, and everything else is secular, but the New Testament teaches that we're all priests. The New Testament teaches that, we're, that our body is a temple and that God's Holy Spirit lives in us. The New Testament teaches us that every day is holy. The New Testament tells us that we can take God with us wherever we go and that he can be part of everything that we do. So with that in mind, I, I want to just give you three things this morning that I hope will be transformational, will help you in dealing with, with uh, going to work every day. How many of you need help with going to work every day? Okay, maybe I'm preaching to the wrong crowd, um, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because I don't have another sermon, so we're, you're going to get it. So, so anyway, here's the first thing. See your everyday work as a service for God. You have to see your everyday work as a service for God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. How many of you realize that, that almost everything we do affects someone else in some way or another. I mean, you think about this world, we live just practical things. We have food because there are pr farmers who have planted crops. There are ranchers who have raised the cattle for our beef. And I like beef. I'm just here to tell you that right now. And then we've got, you know, truck drivers that will, that will transport. And then we've got people who stock the shelves. And we've got people who do all kinds of things from the, from the time it, it's planted in the ground until it gets to your table. There, there are just uh, uh, innumerable numbers of people that are involved in that process of what they're doing and, and we are beneficiaries of their labor. And we need to realize that even if you're just a small part in that whole cog, that whole process of what's going on in the work world, we need to remember that what we say and what we do are actually important. And we, we actually have this awesome responsibility. It, it makes a difference because others are affected by what we do. What you do makes a difference in other people's lives. I'm convinced that this is part of what Paul was talking about when he wrote in Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He's saying, listen, this is about living every single day. Putting your life on the altar as a living sacrifice. You know, Old Testament, they, they, the sacrifices were all dead, right? They, they laid him on there, killed the sacrifice. He said, God's not interested in you being dead. He wants you to be alive when you offer yourself to him. And that means that every single day, your, your every day, uh, work a day, minute by minute life, he says, give it to me. That's what he's talking about. We can serve God in the way we work every single day. A man named Greg Yount, he said this. He said, we should make work what we live to do for the Lord, not just what we do to live. There's a big difference there. You know, in January of 1995, J. Robert Ashcroft, uh, Assembly of God minister for many, many years, he, uh, he, he, he had fewer than 40, 48 hours to live, but he, he was very old and he was, he was holding on to life, but the reason he was holding on to life was because he wanted to see his son, John Ashcroft, sworn into the U.S. Senate the following day. And uh, as, as family and friends gathered in, in Washington for a small reception, this great old minister, J. Robert Ashcroft, he asked his son to play the piano, which he, John, I don't know if you knew John Ashcroft plays the piano, and he started playing, and, and everyone sang together the old song, We Are Standing on Holy Ground. A lot of you know that song. Then after that song was over, 
this frail old man spoke some very powerful words to his son. He said, John, I want you to know that even Washington can be holy ground. Now, that's shocking to a lot of us already. But he said, I want you to know that even Washington be, can be holy ground. Wherever you hear the voice of God, that ground is sanctified. It's a place where God can call you to the highest and best. So that means if you can hear God at work, it's holy ground. But you know, the real question for us in dealing with how we work and how we go about our business in, in, in our workaday life, we, the real question we have to ask is very simple. For whom do I work? For whom do I work? When we, when we settle the fact that we are working for God and not for any human being, then we can find significance in our, in our employment no matter what we may do for a living. If you are a teacher, you're teaching for God, not just so that you can make some money, not just even so you can touch the lives of the kids. You're doing that for the glory of God. If you, if you sell something, you are selling for the glory of God. If you do something else, it's all about finding significance when we realize what I do I'm doing for God's glory and I have to do it in such a way that it reflects his glory to the people around me so the second thing we need to realize is that you can serve God where you work and I know some of you are thinking to yourself man you just don't know where I work you just don't know my boss. You don't know the kind of people I have to work with. You don't know the power struggles that go on. You don't know the flirtations and the cursing. You don't know all the dirty stories that are told. You don't know how outright evil it is in the, in the, the environment is where I work. You don't know how, how pagan these people are. People, You say people look at me like I'm a, from a different planet when I talk about Jesus or the church or anything like that. Well, you know, Ephesians chapter 6 Verses 5 and 6, it really speaks to us about a Christian work ethic. It's not specifically about that, but there are principles we can apply. But it says this, it says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The, the passage, obviously, is addressed to bondservants. Some, some translations translate it slaves. That's, that's accurate. There's nothing wrong with that. But the principles in the passage are applicable to us as employees. So I want to just change a couple of words to help us understand it in the context of work and, and in dealing with the kind of attitude we should have at work. Let me, let me read it like this. Workers, obey your earthly bosses with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I don't care how bad your boss is. He's saying that, that even though your boss is, is a two-legged monster and who is about as wicked as anyone you've ever seen, do, do your work for him as though you're doing it for Christ, to honor Christ. You may say, well, you just don't know my boss, or you, you never suggest that. Uh, you, you say, I work in this pagan office in a pagan company, and there's no way that Christian principles will ever change that. Well, I want to, in response to that, I want to ask you to consider Daniel, great prophet in the Old Testament. Daniel was carried away captive to Babylon. He was taken from Jerusalem by people who uh, uh, taken away from Jerusalem where there were people who believed what he believed and about the one true God and those kind of people surrounded him and now they take him away to Babylon and he is in this completely horrible, evil, ungodly society, this environment in Babylon and, and as he's there, as time passed, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon made Daniel a government official and as Daniel worked in his government office, sitting behind his government desk, doing all his duties as a government bureaucrat, he was still able to serve God. You know what? King Nebuchadnezzar respected Daniel's faithfulness to God. And, and as, as he rose higher and higher and higher among the, the leaders of this pagan country, the, the King Nebuchadnezzar respected Daniel and his faith. Well, eventually the day came when King Nebuchadnezzar died and the Babylonian Empire began to disintegrate and another man, King Darius, finally conquered it. And once again, Daniel's outstanding qualities were recognized and he was soon appointed as one of the highest officials in, the, in all, the, all of the land. But there were some other people that were a little jealous of Daniel. How many of you have ever faced jealousy in the workplace? 
You ever seen somebody where, where maybe you got promoted and somebody else got jealous and they were undercutting you or they were t- talking bad about somebody else behind their back because of all the office politics and, and all of this stuff and they were all jealous. And, and so, so there came a time when, when these jealous leaders began to, to work on the, the king, the boss, the boss man there. And they began to deal with him. And, and it came a time when pressures were put on Daniel to do things that were against God. Now, by this time, King Darius had become a friend to Daniel, and he was forced, because of the law he had signed into place, to have Daniel thrown into the lion's den. You know the story. We're not going to tell the whole story. We, we know that God shut the mouths of the lions, and Daniel was unharmed. But I want you to see something that happened the next morning. Because the next morning, King Darius came rushing to the lion's den. Really, all he was expecting to find was the mangled body of Daniel, maybe some bones left over. He expected him to be dead and gone. And listen to what Darius says as he comes running to Daniel. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continuously, been able to rescue you from the lions? Did you catch that? Out of all of the things that, that, that Daniel was known for, King Darius, in, in, in this situation where Daniel was working in this ungodly environment, he was working for an idol-worshiping king, and yet this king knew one thing for sure about this man. He knew that Daniel served God continually. He knew that he served God. I ask you this question. Do your fellow workers know that you serve God? Do they know that you serve God? Or are you an undercover Christian? Which, by the way, there's no such thing. There are no secret agent Christians where you're just going in the world and trying to hide. That's that's not what it means to follow Christ. But but do you try to serve God continually in the environment in which you work? Have you seen yourself as a walking temple of God? Have you been able to put God first where you work so that that your fellow workers all know that you're trying to serve God and the reason you work hard is because you're trying to honor God and the reason you do your best is not to to be a brown noser for your boss, but you're doing it because you're trying to honor your God. Do your fellow workers know that you serve Jesus? And I know somebody would say, yeah, I know. I, I know what Daniel did, but, but you know what? Daniel was just extraordinary. He was an amazing man. He was extraordinary, but I'm just ordinary. Well, I've got something I want to say. If you're ordinary, thank God. Thank God for that. You ever thought about this? God must really like ordinary people because he made more ordinary people than he did anybody else. You ever think about that? There's more of us ordinary folk than there is extraordinary folk. And, and, and the, the, thing, the reason for that is that God delights in taking ordinary people and then infusing them with extraordinary power. And he does that because when he uses an ordinary person with extraordinary power to do extraordinary things, everybody around looks and they say, but that's just an ordinary guy. That can't be him. There's got to be more to it than just him. When an ordinary person goes to an ordinary workplace determined to be faithful to an extraordinary God, God can do amazing things through that ordinary person. And God is always glorified when that happens because everybody knows you are not enough to do that on your own. Third thing we need to remember, and this is really important, all of us are ministers. All of us are ministers. We, we tend to think, you know, I'm up here preaching. I'm pastor of the church. And we think, our tendency is to think of people like me as a minister. You know, and we'll even, we'll even use that. I mean, somebody say, what do you do for a living? And sometimes, you, you know, sometimes they say I'm a pastor. Sometimes I tell them I'm a minister or whatever. And we, we use that. But the truth is, we're all ministers. We could all answer the question when somebody says, well, what do you do? You can say I'm a minister of God. You say, no, you're not a minister of God. You work at Chick-fil-A. That's where I'm a minister to God, minister of God. That's where he called me to serve. You know, uh, once in a while, I'll have someone say something like, you know, I just, I just wish I could do what you do. I wish I were a preacher. 
Well, I would say this. After being in the ministry since 1985, and I'm not going to try to do the math how many years that is, I will say this. When you say, when you say, I wish I were a preacher, I would say this. Be careful what you preach for, because it's not at all, I guarantee it's not at all what you think it is. But, but I want you to know that I haven't always done what I do now. I haven't always worked in a church. I haven't, haven't always been a, a pastor. I've worked in a number of different vocations. I've, I've worked at, I was, uh, I worked at Sonic Drive-In. Can I hear it for their onion rings? Can somebody say praise the Lord? So that's how I get your attention. I mention food every so often, and then everybody's ears perk up. I, I worked at Burger King. Um, I won't say anything about that. I worked at th- those two places. Uh, um, I, I've worked as a, I worked as a painter, a house painter. And before somebody says, oh, I'm going to call him. There's a reason I didn't work there very long. I was not very good at it, okay? So don't call me because you're going to be dissatisfied with my work. But, uh, but I've worked in a number of different lo- vocations. And I'm telling you this, in working in those jobs, I know a little bit what you're talking about, about the language that's there and the, and the things that go on in the secular workplace. I'm telling you, if you work with a group of painters, you know that, that uh, there, there can be some, some rough people out there, right? But I also want you to know, I am no more a servant of God now than I was then. I'm no, no more a minister of the gospel now than I was then. It's just the vocation, the, 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 the way that it plays out in my life is different now. The Bible teaches us that all of us are ministers, no matter, no matter what our job description is, no matter what our workplace might be. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, You are a minister of God. Now, if God ever calls you out of what you're doing right now into preaching ministry, I want you to know you will will be no more of a servant of his then than you are right now. You will never be more of a minister of the gospel than you are called to be right at this very moment. Your ministry is not somewhere down the road in some special moment, in some special event. Your ministry is now. It's now. Wherever you are, that's your mission field. We we need to learn to think like missionaries. Missionaries go into another culture, and and they walk into that culture, and they live there, and everything they do is designed to put Christ on display and to make the gospel known. This is how we have to live. We've got to look at the world. We've got to look at our workplace. And we've got to realize that wherever I am, wherever God places me, that is my mission field. That's where God has planted you strategically for the kingdom of God. That's the place where God wants to use you to touch someone's life. Not only that, you know, that's the place where God wants to grow you. That's where God wants you to shine like stars in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. That's where God wants you to, to let your light shine. That's where God God needs you to be faithful to the calling that rests upon every follower of Jesus Christ, and that is to be a light in the world and to, to, to take the gospel of Jesus to everyone everywhere. And maybe you look at your workplace and you feel that you're a victim of circumstances. You say, what do you mean a victim of circumstances? Well, what I mean is, you may look at your, your job and you say the, you, that you only have the job you have. But it was because you couldn't get the job you wanted. So therefore, you're a victim of circumstances. You have to make a living. So there you are in a job that you hate, and you hate every minute of it. Well, I want to remind you that Daniel was also a victim, victim of circumstances. He certainly was. The only reason Daniel was in Babylon was because the Babylonian army forcibly took him to Babylon. You know, it wasn't like he vacationed in Babylon one year and said, man, this place is so nice. I think I'd like to retire here. That wasn't what it was like at all. The Babylonian army had forced him to move to Babylon at the point of a sword. They said, you either go to Babylon or you die in Jerusalem, your choice. But I want you to notice something, that even in the middle of those circumstances, he could have taken on a victimhood uh, mentality. He could have said, oh, woe is me. Here I am, this poor, this poor servant of God, and I'm being persecuted. I've been forced to move to Babylon, and you know, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. But I want you to notice what God said in Jeremiah 29, 7. 
He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Listen to this last line. To which I have carried you into exile. The Babylonian army was just the tool that God was using to get Daniel to the place where God wanted Daniel to be. Daniel was living in this ungodly place surrounded by wicked, sinful people. In fact, I mean, Babylon, biblically speaking, Babylon is, is sort of the, what we say is it's considered like the ultimate evil. That's when you read the book of Revelation. It talks about Babylon, Babylon, and it's talking about this ultimate evil. And, and Daniel was in that place, this ungodly place, surrounded by wicked, sinful people. But the Bible says that God said, I have carried you in ex- exile, which means that he was exactly where God wanted him to be. If you're in a secular workplace working next to a person who doesn't know Jesus, you need to recognize that that is a God-given opportunity to influence that person toward Christ. That's what it is. You share life with that person every single day. You look them you, right in the eyes. You talk to them every day. You listen to their voice. They've, maybe they've shared their hopes and dreams with you. They've, they've told you about their kids and their family, and, and you've gotten to know them. Well, doesn't it make sense that, that because of that relationship that God would like to use you to lead them to the Lord? Don't wait for a preacher to show up at your workplace. God's already sent one in you. You know, I heard recently about a business owner who he actually employed many, many Christians in his company, and he, he watched them like a hawk. He wasn't a Christian when, when he started hiring them, but he said he was naturally drawn to God by observing Christian workers who were uh, conscientious and kind and, and thorough and aggressive on their job, who worked hard, did the best they could. But, but then he said, he, t- he told the story. He said, I'll tell you what really impressed me. He said, one day, one day a guy who I, who I knew to be a new convert, he said, he asked if he could see me after work. And he agreed to meet him after work, but, but then later on the day, in the day, he started to worry because he knew that this was a new convert. He thought, maybe, maybe this young religious zealot, he's, he might be trying to come in and try to convert me too. So he's got a little worried about it. But he was very surprised when the man came, in, came into his office later that day with his head hanging low. And this is what he said to him. He said, sir, I'll take only a few minutes, but I'm here to ask for your forgiveness. Over the years, I've worked for you. I've done what a lot of other employees do, like borrowing a few products here and there. I've taken some extra supplies. I've abused telephone privileges. I've cheated the time clock now and then. But I became a Christian a few months ago, and he looked at his boss in the eye, and he said, and it's real. It's not the smoke and mirror stuff. In in gratitude for what Christ has done for me and in obedience to him, I want to make amends to you and the company for the wrongs that I've done. So he said, so could we figure out a way to do that he looked at him and he, uh, he looked at his boss and he said if you have to find me for what I've done I'll understand I, I deserve it if you have to fire me I understand I deserve it or if you want to dock my pay dock whatever figure you think is appropriate if you want to give me some extra work to for me to do on my own time that would be okay too he said I just want to make things right with God and right between us well, they worked things out, and the business owner said that, that in the, the result of that, that this conversation had a deeper spiritual impact on him than anything else that he had ever seen or any other conversation he had with any Christian. It was the single most impressive demonstration of true Christianity that he had ever witnessed. What was it? that made this new believer so contagious? Was it, a, was it a clever new gospel presentation? Let me show you a new way to understand the gospel. Or was, was it his well-rehearsed testimony? No, and, and believe me, listen, there's nothing wrong with, with knowing your testimony and being ready to share it. That's a good thing. But the truth was, it was a genuine and humble admission of wrongdoing along with a willingness to make it right. You know what it was? It was a consistent, sincere Christianity be, being lived out in front of him. It wasn't just words that were spoken, but it was the way that he lived that backed up the words. You know what? We can go to work and see that place and see those people 
as our God-given opportunity for service. And your consistent display of true Christianity will have an impact on the people at your, uh, at your workplace. And I want to tell you this. When you do this, when you determine this, I'm here to tell you there are going to be those in your workplace that will test you on it. They will test you. They will, there are going to be some that will look for the buttons that they can push. How many of you here got buttons that can be pushed? Amen. Amen. Some of you, some of you are like, uh, I'm not raising my hand because I don't want anybody to find out what my buttons are, right? But we all, we all have those. And, and when you try to live out your faith in a real and a practical, consistent way, there are going to be those that you work with they are going to try to find the buttons and they're going to poke at you and prod at you. I mean, I remember when I was uh, in high school, uh, go, actually going back to my Burger King days, and uh, Christ had gotten a hold of my life. He had radically changed me. And I remember uh, I was working at Burger King at the time, and uh, I, I was so hungry for the Lord, and I, I wanted to live for Him, and I wanted my light to shine. And so I t- made sure that I didn't hide my faith in Christ, and, and, and I would take my Bible to work with me at Burger King so that on my break, I, I, I mean, I was just hungry, so I could read it. Well, people see, saw that sort of thing, and there was one fellow in the, in the s- restaurant that just Decided that he just didn't like that and he didn't like me. And so he just constantly rode me. I mean, he was on my back all the time saying mean and nasty things about me and about Christianity, about my faith, about Jesus, all these things. I mean, it got so bad. There was another guy that worked in the, in the restaurant. He was a kind of a big guy, had a, a, let's just say, a shady reputation. How many of you know somebody has a shady reputation? Don't, don't point fingers. Some of you are like, hey, this guy right here. Uh, but uh, anyway... It got so bad that at this point, this really ungodly guy, he, he finally turned around to this other guy that was riding me. I was on the, 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 the charbroiler unit, and this other guy was working the fries, and, and, and this, other, this big guy, when this other guy was just constantly riding me, just being mean as can be, and this big guy finally turned around and said, would you just shut your mouth and get off his back? And I remember praying, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, <laughs> you know. But you know what? I want you to know what happened. After some time of that taking place, I remember one night I was working up in the front of house. I was working in the drive through window. And there was another girl that was working there. She was up front, and it was kind of a slow uh, time uh, that night. And we were just sitting there, and just, we, you know, restocking something, and we were talking. And she brought it up, and she said, Why? Do you let him step all over you like that? You know what? You know what that really was? That was really a question of saying, what makes you so different? What is it about your life that keeps you from acting like everybody else does in a situation like that? It was an opportunity for me to be able to tell her about my faith in Christ. And we sat there and we talked about the gospel. Now, let me ask you this. Would I have had that opportunity to share the gospel with that girl if I had taken up my cause and, and gotten in that guy's face and said, listen, I'm a Christian, but I don't have to take this. The Bible says turn the cheek. I turned the cheek, but I only got two cheeks. You hit it too many times. That's it, buddy. I would never have had the opportunity to share my faith with that girl if I hadn't left it in the hands of the Lord and said, okay, you said, Lord, vengeance is mine. I will repay, and I'll leave it in your hands. I'll let you deal with it. And when I did what he said, when I tried to live this out consistently, when I tried to reflect the, the love and the grace of Jesus, and I tried that. I, I mean, I would, I would try to do what I could to serve this guy, which is kind of fun in a way. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but like somebody's really ribbing you and giving you a hard time, and then, you know, then you, they're out doing something, and you bring them you know, a nice cold drink or something, a cup of water, and, and they, they can't figure out why in the world you're being nice to them. It's actually kind of fun to watch them squirm a little bit. But, but the opportunity to, that, to, to tell about my faith came simply because I was trying to live it out consistently and faithfully. God has placed you where you are in order to make himself known in that place. Read Acts 17. 
You can see there where it talks about how God has established the boundaries. He, he has put men where he wants them. He has put you where you are for a reason. The job that you have, you were given by God for a reason, and that is to make Christ known. I know Dustin down here, we're, we're celebrating with him because he just got a new job. He'd been trying to find a job, been driving from Jones, Jonesboro every day. Finally got a new job. The, door, the Lord opened the right door for him. And I know he knows this, but Dustin, God has opened that door because he wants to make Christ known in that place. And he's saying, I need a missionary in this office. I think I'll send Dustin. See how it gives us purpose in our work life? It's more than just doing a job and getting a paycheck. It's a ministry calling. It's a missionary calling. So here's what I want to, I want to close with these. Here, I want to give you these four suggestions for witnessing for Christ effectively in the workplace. And this is not just the workplace, this is really anywhere. And, and I made them all rhyme. So it's going to be a little corny, but maybe that'll help you remember, remember them, okay? Number one, don't brag. Don't brag. What do you mean? Don't brag about how righteous you are and how much sin you have overcome. Don't brag about how I, I used to be like all of you, but I am righteous now, you know, you bunch of dirty, rotten, heathen sinners. Don't brag about how you used to drink and carouse and be unfaithful, but now you've, you're better than that now. You've conquered all of that. Don't, don't brag about it. Self-righteousness has always been repulsive. Don't, don't be one of those Christians that, that kneels, at the, that, that, excuse me, do be one of those. Don't be one of the Christians that, that leans up against the cross and points a finger at other people and say, ah, oh, you birdie, dirty, don't you, let me try it again. Let me, all oh, you bunch of dirty, rotten singers, you better get right or get left. No, 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 no. You're not saved because of you. Be one of those Christians that kneels at the cross and says, come with me. There's room for you too. I found grace. There's grace for you. I found forgiveness. There's forgiveness for you. I found hope. There's hope for you. Now, I will say this. It's okay to talk about how bad your life was before. That's not what I'm saying. It's okay to talk about how you had no hope. But it's important to say what Jesus did, not what you did. If you're going to brag at all, make sure you brag about Jesus, not about yourself. Number two, don't nag. Don't brag, don't nag. What do I mean? Well, uh, don't carry your Bible under your arm, and every time somebody cusses, pull that out and say, well, look here. It says right here in this verse, don't let any unwholesome communication come from your mouth. Quit cussing, you heathen. You know, every time they brag about what a hangover they have, don't pull it out and say, well, 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 what do you know? Right here it says all drunkards are going to go to hell. No, self-righteousness and judgment attitude, judgmental attitudes turn people away. They don't turn people to Christ. You, you may think that you're just being bold and proclaiming this, but what you're really doing is you're showing your own arrogance and you're turning them away with your attitude. So don't nag. Don't nag on them. Number three, don't lag. Don't lag. What does that mean? Well, it just means work hard. As a Christian, it's important for you to do your work and do it as well as you can. Work hard. Work hard. Arrive at work on time, maybe even a little early. Help, help out other people when, when, when they're working on something if you can. If, if you're lazy on the job, that's a poor testimony for the Lord. Do your work and then some. You know, that's a great principle. If you ever want to, if you want to continue to advance in life, that's a great thing to learn. Do your work and then some. Do more than ask for them for you. And then when people say, why do you do that? You'll be able to say, I'm doing this because I, I, I serve Jesus Christ and I'm offering, I'm doing this for him, so I'm doing my best. Number four, don't brag, don't nag, don't lag. And this is the corniest one of all, don't sag. It's really bad, I know, but maybe I'll remember it. What I mean is be really careful not to go back to your old way of life. Be really careful not to give in to the desire to be accepted 
and then compromise your testimony because we all, we all want to be part of the group, right? We want to be part of the crowd when we go to work. So be really careful not to be enticed by the things of the world. Don't, as, as Proverbs says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Make sure you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, in saying that don't sag, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm not saying that you have to try to live a sinless life because the truth is you're, you're going to mess up. You're going to sin. Can anybody say amen? Anybody here, anybody here uh, still struggle with sin from time to time? Let me see your hand. Let me see. Okay, the rest of you, you just lied, so you're struggling with that sin right there. Uh, that's for sure. But no, listen, you're going to sin. And when you sin, guess what? A lot of times your coworkers are going to know it. They're going to know it when you blow it. I didn't mean to rhyme that, but that's good or good. I, that was an accidental rhyme, but you'll remember that. Um, they're going to know it. You know, it's not, that's not the real thing. That's not what really matters because everybody's going to blow it. What really matters is what you do after you blow it. What really matters is what you do after you sin. Do you just pretend that it didn't happen? Do you pretend that it doesn't exist? Do you just ignore it? No, that's the worst thing you can do because then you'll be accused of being a hypocrite. But what you need to do is apologize to the person that you wronged. That you need to make things right. You need to ask for forgiveness. Don't make excuses for what you've done. By the way, don't do an apology by saying something like, well, you know, I'm sorry I offended you. <laughs> that is not an apology at all, okay? Go and take responsibility, own the sin, ask for forgiveness, say, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me and leave it at that? Don't subtly place the blame on anyone else. And that's what we do all the time. We say, well, I was wrong. I did this, but you know, so-and-so did this. And no, just own your sin and ask for forgiveness. That's how you live for Jesus with consistency, even when you blow it. Because even when you blow it, when you own it, and you ask for forgiveness, you show the reality of forgiveness that Jesus offers. You show that, that you're not just like everybody else that tries to place the blame and tries to play the victim. If you're consistent with your walk with Christ, sooner or later, just like that girl at Burger King did to me, they will come up and they will ask you in one way or another. They may not see, say these words, but it will be something that will be, in essence, this. They're going to say, what is different about you. What is it that you've got that I don't have because I see something in the way you live and it's so different than the way I live. If your life reflects what Christ can, can do in a life, sooner or later, that door is going to swing open and you'll have the opportunity to share gently and tenderly with love the, the, your testimony with them and the gospel of Christ and the grace that he offers. If you'll just be there every day, if you'll be loving people and setting a, a solid Christian example every day, one day you will have an opportunity to touch someone's life with the gospel. You know, in Jeremiah 29, verses 5 through 7, we're going to close with this. God gave the children of Israel instructions on how they should behave in a godless environment because they had been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Listen to these very, very plain and practical words. This is what he said to Israel, to the people of Israel. When they were placed uh, against their will, they were placed in this wicked society. You know, he, he, it's interesting because we would think he, he might be saying, well, when you get there, stand on every street corner and preach at them and tell them what a bunch of heathens they are. But this is what he says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too, uh, they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, here's why I think that's so relevant. It's relevant for us because we're in exile. This world is not our home. This is... Babylon was not the home for those Israelites. 
They were there temporarily, and we're here temporarily. We're just passing through. Jesus is building a real home for us, and, and I'm anxiously awaiting that home. But in the meantime, we're here. In the meantime, we're here. And while we're here, God, he says, settle down, build a house, plant a garden, get married and have children, five wives, find wives for your sons and marry off your daughters. They too will have children. Go out and work and prosper because as the city prospers, you too will prosper. In other words, he says, be God's person in society. Be Christ's ambassador to this world. Participate in society, but don't conform to it. Don't give in to their way of doing things. Daniel didn't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. They participated in their society, but they did not conform to it. They, they were there, and they were part of the government. They were working. They were part of the culture, part of the society, and yet they refused to do the things that were contrary to the Word of God. They were, they, they, they were, there were fiery furnaces, and there were lion's dens as a result, but God saw them through all of that, and I can tell you, he will see us through today. We carry this message of freedom and hope. We carry the message of Jesus Christ with us everywhere we go. And outside of our time with our family, we spend more time at work than any place else. There's a reason why you're there. God has put you there to carry the message of the gospel to that place. Carry the message of Jesus to the workplace this Tuesday. Many, most of you have tomorrow off. So Tuesday morning when you get up and you, you think to yourself, I hate that alarm clock. Anybody else besides me think that? And you say, okay, it's time to go to work. I'm asking the Lord to remind you in that moment, you're not just going to work. You're going to your place of calling. He's got a purpose for you today. So get up and say on Tuesday morning, Lord, help me to carry the good news of Jesus to my workplace today. Somebody desperately needs to hear that message. I'm here to remind you today that your workplace is a sacred place where you can serve the Lord, where you can carry your faith to those who don't know Jesus. You are where you are for a reason. You bow your head, close your eyes. I want to pray with you this morning. Father, as we come into your presence today, as we celebrate this Labor Day, God, it's, labor is something to be celebrated. Lord, work is, a, is really, it is a gift from you, Lord. The ability to work and produce and be prosperous in so many different areas of our lives. But God, beyond all of that, our workplaces, we see, we know, and if we didn't know before, we know now that that is our mission field. That's the, where you've called us to serve you. And so God, I pray that our, our work, our job would become more than just a job, more than just what we do uh, in order to live, but Lord, there'd be a place where we realize that you've called us, you've placed us, you've, that that's, that's our mission field. And God, right now, there's some of us that we can think of co-workers that need Jesus and maybe people that we've developed a deeper relationship with. And, and Lord, you, you, we realize that you're calling us to be an instrumental part of, of helping them to find Christ. So Lord, I pray you'd help us to be sensitive. Even, even this Tuesday, Lord, when we go back to work. Help us to be sensitive and aware of your presence and aware of your spirit. And, God, that we'll take advantage of every opportunity. And Lord, in those moments when we just want to explode in the flesh and begin to just tell somebody off, I pray, God, that you would help us to, to, to take the flesh under control, and to allow your spirit to take control of that moment. And Lord, that we would respond in the fruit of the spirit rather than the fruit of the flesh. God, that as we do that, that it would reflect the grace and the love and the mercy of Christ to everyone around. And Lord, if, if there's anybody here that's struggling with their job, I pray, Lord, that you would just give them purpose. They'd realize that they are where they are for a reason. And maybe there's some, God, that you're about ready to open a new door like you've done for Dustin, or, or you're about to close an old door from an old job and you're going to lead them to something else. But wherever it is, God, we just know 
that your hand is upon us and that you're going to place us strategically like a, like a, a, a pawn on a, tres- a chessboard, a, a, a part of, of what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish. You're going to place us where we need to be. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to take that very seriously and that we'll live this gospel out, that we'll talk of Jesus. Lord, it's not about trying to rely on our lives and say, well, I'll just live it out and they'll see. But God, that our words and our actions all work together and make Jesus known. If there's those here this morning, I'm going to ask you just to keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. If there's anybody here who would say, Pastor Dave, I want you to just pray for me this week. Some of you, you might be saying, you know, Pastor, my job is really a struggle. Some of the people I work with are really hard to get along with. I'm asking God to give me grace today to be able to deal with them. And others, you say, well, you know, it's not so much that. It's just, it's just that I don't, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. Ask God to give me the grace to take this as a calling. Whatever it is, if you'd, if you'd like me just to pray for you and say, Pastor Dave, include me in your prayer. Ask him to give me wisdom so that I can be a light shining in the darkness. Ask him to help me to live consistently with my words and my actions so that people will see Jesus. Ask him to anoint my ministry at that workplace. Ask him to use me. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are so I can pray for you. Is there anybody? Yes. Anybody else? Yes. All right. Maybe you're online. I'm going to pray for you too. Father, you see those that are hearing your calling. We realize, God, that our workplace is a ministry calling. Lord, I pray that you would help those that desire to be used by you, God. Give them grace. Fill them with your spirit. Anoint them. Use them, God. Because, Lord, where we can make the most difference is in the workplace. Or if we're students, we can make the most difference in our schools. If we will, if we will work and live and talk and all of these things, everything we do, God, as we do it all is unto you. So, Lord, I pray that you would give grace where grace is needed. Give patience where patience is needed. Give restraint where that is needed. Give boldness where that is needed. God, I pray that you would help us to become a people who speak the truth in love to everyone around us. We ask all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.